أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا رسول الله صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا أبا عبد الله يا غريب يا مظلوم كربلاء يا ليتنا كنا معكم سادتي فنفوز فوزا عظيما قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألم تر كيف ضرب الله مثلا كلمة طيبة كشجرة طيبة كشجرة طيبة أصلها ثابت وفرعها في السماء تؤتي أكلها كل حين بإذن ربها ويضرب الله الأمثال للناس لعلهم يتذكرون God states in the Holy Quran, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Have you not considered how God sets forth a parable? A good word is like a good tree. Its roots firm and its branches in the sky. It brings forth fruit in every season by the permission of its Lord and God sets forth parables for humankind that they may remember Amanna Billah Sadaqallahu Al-Aliyyul Azim. Let us begin by enlivening our hearts and minds and our gathering with the remembrance and the salutations upon the Holy Prophet and his purified progeny. Sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammadin wa ajjil faraju. One of the striking features of the Holy Quran is the extent to which God draws upon certain parables and examples and stories. The Quran is full of examples. The Quran is full of parables and analogies. The Quran from beginning to end is filled with stories. This is a prominent feature of the Holy Quran. Why does the Quran have examples and parables and stories? What purpose do they serve? The Quran itself tells us 
that the reason why God gives examples or parables or stories is not just to entertain us. Usually, when we read a story, the point behind reading that story or that novel is that it is a form of entertainment. Many of us, for fun, we might read stories or novels. You've had a long day at work or school, and you want to wind down, you want to relax, you want to clear your mind, so you'll pick up a story or a novel, and you'll keep reading through that novel, and it's a form of entertainment. So it brings you a sense of calmness and delight and happiness, depending on the story, of course. But it's a form of entertainment. Does the Qur'an relate stories to us in order to entertain us? Certainly, some of the stories of the Qur'an, they are a form of entertainment. The story of Prophet Yusuf is a beautiful story from beginning to end. And it contains many interesting issues, many interesting plots, and there are plot twists in the story of Yusuf But the reason why God gives us the story of Yusuf and other prophets and other messengers and other communities is not to entertain us. Rather, the point is for us to be able to draw lessons and to learn from the Qur'an's relating these stories and these examples and these parables. God says, وَيَضْرِبُ اللَّهُ الْأَمْثَالَ لِلنَّاسِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَذَكَّرُونَ That God sets forth parables, amthal, examples in the Qur'an. Why? For people so that they can remember. Because we oftentimes forget. We get preoccupied with our daily lives. And sometimes we forget what the, our priorities are. God says, I give you examples in this book so that you can remember. It's a reality check. It's a reminder for us of our priorities, of those things that we should value and those things that we should be concerned with. When it comes to stories, God commands the Prophet. He says, relate to them stories. Ya Rasulullah, relate to them stories of past nations and individuals and societies. Why? So that they may reflect. They hear the story and they think about the story. They contemplate. They think about the lessons that can be drawn from those stories. And when we examine the Qur'an, we find that it gives us various examples. Examples of those who were wicked and those who were indecent and those who were punished. And it gives us examples and stories of those who were righteous and those who were good and those who lived good lives. When we examine the stories especially of those who were righteous, individuals and communities across the course of history, their stories as they are related by the Qur'an, we find that despite their differences, the story gives us stories, uh, the Qur'an gives us stories of men and women. It gives us stories of young and old. It gives us stories of individuals and groups. Despite all of their differences and their various contexts, 
all of these figures, there is a central and a common theme and an element that unites them all. And that is that they were all tested and tried incessantly. When God gives us the stories of these individuals, righteous individuals and communities, God always tells us about the trials and the tests that they faced. This is a common theme throughout the Qur'an and throughout the parables and the stories that the Qur'an gives. And it talks about a range of contexts and of various trials, various tests that they all face, various challenges, different kinds of challenges. They didn't face the same kinds or the same set of challenges. They all differed. The Qur'an gives us many examples. Take the example of Prophet Nuh, Noah, peace be upon him. The Qur'an talks about how Nuh was tested in various ways. The Qur'an tells us that Nuh lived with his community as a messenger for 950 years. He was a messenger. He lived for much longer than that, maybe 1,500 years. But as a messenger with a mission sent to his community, he lived with them and he preached to them for 950 years. 950. And the Quran tells us about how the people used to react to him. In Surah Nuh, he would go out, he would preach to the people, he would call them to God, he would call them to that which is good, yet they kept rejecting him. The Quran tells us, speaking on behalf of Nuh, Nuh says, my Lord, every time I called them, for what? For personal gain? So that they can give him money, or so that he can become popular or famous among them? No. So that you can forgive them. They can recognize you. They can seek repentance. They can live righteous lives. Every time I called them towards this, what would they do? They rejected Nuh constantly, over and over again. How did they reject Nuh? Nuh says, when I would speak to them, they would put their fingers in their ears. See, sometimes like a child who doesn't want to listen to something, what do they do? They'll put their fingers in their ears. They see Nuh and they hear him, but they block what he has to say. They don't want to listen to him. Sometimes you don't want to listen to someone. What do you do? On social media, it's easy. You block them. You silence them. They probably don't even know that they're being silenced. Right? No one knows. Or you walk away. That's one way. But it's a whole other thing where someone comes and stands in front of you and puts their fingers in their ear. They're showing you in this case that they are deliberately rejecting what you have to say. More than that, not only would they put their fingers in their ears, they would cover their heads, their faces with their clothes so that they don't even see Nuh. Not just don't listen to him, they don't even see him. And they would teach their children. 
generation after generation, for 950 years, they rejected me. We can't tolerate people for 10 minutes and half an hour and a year in school or a few months at work. Nuh had to tolerate this behavior, this rejection of his community for 950 years. That's a difficult test. Very difficult test that Nuh faced. This was one part of the test that Nuh faced. Another was with his own wife, his own spouse. The Quran tells us that his wife, not only did she herself reject his message and his teachings, but she would go around telling people, don't listen to my husband, he's crazy. He would go out and preach to people. She would go out and she would say, he's crazy, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's saying. His own wife, his own spouse. He had to deal with that challenge, with that trial. More than that, not just his wife, his own son, the Quran tells us. His own son, he rejected him. When God warned Nuh of the flood, and Nuh built the ark, and he brought the animals, and he brought his very close companions and followers on board, and it began to rain, and the flood began, Nuh began to plea with his son, my son, come with me. Come with me, be saved. His son said, no. Don't worry about me. I'll go to the top of the mountain and I'll be saved. I'm not coming with you. There's no way that I'm going to come with you. His own son rejected him to the point that God said, Surrender, Nuh. Give up. Your son's not going to listen to you. Don't consider him part of your family. His own son. The Quran gives us the example of Nuh, who was rejected by the public, by his community. He was rejected by his wife. He was rejected by his son. For hundreds of years, this was the situation with Prophet Nuh. God gives us the example of Ayyub, Prophet Ayyub, peace be upon him. The Quran tells us that Prophet Ayyub, he had everything. He had a family. He had many children. He had real estate. He had land. He had property. He had wealth. He had health. He had everything. And he would constantly thank God. Constantly, Ayyub would always express gratitude to God. And God promises, God says, if you thank me, I'll give you more. This is a promise, a guarantee by God. If you thank me for my blessings, I'll keep giving you more. Ayyub continued to thank God until one day Iblis, Iblis, he told God, Shaitan, he told God, he said, you know, this guy Ayyub that you speak so highly of, that he's always thanking you, of course he's going to thank you. You've given him everything. You've given him the best family. You've given him wealth. You've given him resources. You've given him health. Of course he's going to thank you. He's got everything that he needs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to prove to Satan, to Iblis. He wanted to prove to him 
the nature and the characteristics of his chosen devotees, his prophets and his messengers. That it's no joke, God doesn't just choose anyone. God knows who he chooses for his message. So he wanted to prove to Satan that it's not what you think. And I'll show you that it's not what you think. So God began to test Ayyub. One by one, he began to lose everything that he had. His entire property burned down. His lands. His children, they all died. Seven of them, they all died. He became slowly, he began to lose his health. He became ill. Every day he would lose his health to the point that Ayyub was bedridden. He could not even move. He could not even lift his hand. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his property. He lost his health. He lost everything. The traditions, the reports, they say that it got so bad that his wife, she would go out and she would work cleaning people's homes to bring some money. She would go out. She would shop. She would bring the uh, food home. She would prepare it and she would feed him with her own hands. He could not even feed himself. This is how Prophet Ayyub was tested. And God tells us the reaction of Prophet Ayyub. How did he react? God says, وَأَيُّوبَ إِذْ نَادَ رَبَّهُ أَنِّي مَسَّنِيَ الضُّرُّ وَأَنْتَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمُ When Ayyub, he called upon his Lord, he said, My Lord, difficulty has overcome me. Look at the beautiful words that Ayyub uses. If it was me, I would have said, My Lord, why me? You took everything from me. You didn't leave anything for me. You took my children, you took my wealth, you took my health, you, you chose everything. You didn't leave anything out for me. Why me, my Lord? Why not my neighbor? He's not so great, she's not so great. Test them a little bit, huh? Leave me alone. Ayub says what? Ayub says, my Lord, difficulty has overcome me. And you are the most merciful and you are the most compassionate. The Quran tells us that Ayyub continued to praise his Lord. He continued to express gratitude and thanks. And therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him everything back. His health completely. His family, his children. The hadith says that he had seven children. God gave him 14 children. That he gave him property and wealth. He gave him everything and much more. Because Ayyub was patient. Ayyub continued to express thanks to his Lord and gratitude despite those challenges. He lost everything. He lost everything. He didn't have anything left. God gives us the example of Asiya bint Muzahim. Who was Asiya bint Muzahim? Asiya bint Muzahim was the wife of Pharaoh, Fir'aun. God gives us the example of Asiya bint Muzahim. Asiya bint Muzahim, from a material point of view, she had everything. If you're the wife of the Pharaoh, 
You're going to have palaces. You're going to have gold, silver, jewelry, servants, food. Anything you want, anything you desire is at the tip of your fingers. She had everything. But God tested her with an evil husband. And one of the most evil husbands with Fir'aun. Some of our sisters, they have husbands that aren't so great. But usually they're not Fir'aun, right? Usually. Asiya bint Muzahim was tested with Fir'aun as her husband. She had to deal with this indecent man who would call people to his worship. He stood proudly in front of people. He said, I am your Lord. There's no God. Don't go and worship this and that. Worship me. I am your Lord. Asiya had to deal with this man. And Asiya was a believer. She believed in the message of Prophet Musa. She believed in God. And as a result of that, Fir'aun even punished her. We hear about Fir'aun punishing his society, killing children, newborn boys, killing them in mass numbers, imprisoning people, butchering people. But the Quran tells us that even Asya herself, his own wife, she even experienced the evil and the indecency of Fir'aun. When he realized that she believed in the message of Musa, he began to torture her. The hadith say that he tortured her to the extent that he even ordered a large rock to be placed on her. She was placed, laid flat on the ground and a large rock was placed on top of her. That was a type of torture that he conducted to his own wife, Asya. She had to deal with this. This was a challenge. This was a test of her faith. But God gives the example and the story of Asya bint Muzahim as an example for all of the believers. God says, وَضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مْرَأَةَ فِرْعَوْنَ God gives the example, the parable of the wife of Fir'aun, Asiya bint Muzahim, as an example for all of the believers, men and women. وَضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مْرَأَةَ فِرْعَوْنَ إِذْ قَالَتْ رَبِّ ابْنِ لِي عِنْدَكَ بَيْتًا فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَنَجِّنِي مِنْ فِرْعَوْنَ وَعَمَلِهِ وَنَجِّنِي مِنَ الْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ What did she say? She said, my Lord. She turned to her Lord. She said, my Lord, build for me a house with you in paradise. This palace, this mansion, this gold, this jewelry, all of this, is irrelevant, is irrelevant. I'm not benefiting from this. This does nothing for me. I want you to build for me a palace in paradise with you. That is the paradise, that is the palace that I'm looking for, not this material palace, not this temporary palace. What benefit is the material glory of this world? If I'm not able to be with you, my Lord, if I cannot have faith in you, if I cannot live in peace with my faith, with my beliefs, it's of no benefit. My Lord, rescue me, save me 
from Fir'aun and his evil deeds. This is the example of Asya bint Muzaf. God gives us the example of Maryam ibn Imran. Who was Maryam ibn Imran? She was the mother of Prophet Isa alayhi salam. The Quran, when it refers to Isa, it often refers to Isa as Isa ibn Maryam. Isa, the son of Maryam, so that we don't forget who his mother is. God gives us the example of Maryam. What happened to Maryam? Maryam, we know that her pregnancy was a miracle. God sent an angel to her, and she was frightened. The Quran tells us that when the angel was sent to her, and he told her, I'm here to deliver a message from your Lord. You have been chosen for a very important task, and that is to carry the next prophet, the next messenger in your womb, and to deliver him. Maryam was frightened. She was not married. She was single. She began to ask, what's going to happen? What are people going to say? What are the consequences of this? The angel told her, don't worry. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. But you have been chosen for this task. So Maryam carries Isa alayhi salam. The Quran tells us that when it was time for her to give birth, that she left the city. She went to an eastern place, the Quran says. She left the city. And she stood under the palm tree. And she gave birth to Isa alayhi salam. And then what happened? She carries her child, this newborn infant. And she comes back to the city. When people see her, what is their reaction? How do they react? Maryam is carrying a newborn infant, a newborn child. Whose child is this, Maryam? You're not married. Where did you get this child from? How did this happen? The Quran gives us this example so that we don't forget. God says, She came back to her community carrying the newborn child. They said to her, Maryam, what is this indecent, immoral act that you have committed? They began to accuse her. They began to accuse her of indecency. Maryam, we know you to be better than this. Your father is an honorable man. Your mother is a modest woman. What happened to you, huh? Look at how society, they began to accuse her. They began to question her chastity and her honor. It's very difficult, huh? We hear these stories, but if we take a moment and we think about it, Imagine being accused. Your honor is questioned by society, by those around you. They begin to label you. They begin to accuse you of all types of indecency and immorality and the worst of crimes. Maryam was accused by her people. They told her, what have you done? 
It's one thing, dear friends, for people to harm us physically. And it's another thing for people to harm us emotionally. Sometimes physical harm, if God forbid someone comes and they slap you or they hurt you physically. You might get bruised, you might get wounded, but after a while, that bruise, that physical wound will probably heal. But what happens when someone injures your heart? They say something that pierces through your heart. That wound does not heal easily. Imam Ali alayhi salam, some, he says sometimes this tongue, it is sharper than a dagger. A dagger. You strike someone with a dagger, they get wounded, they might need stitches. Imam Ali says sometimes this tongue, we use this tongue in a way that is sharper and it pierces further and deeper than even a dagger. And this is why we are encouraged not to suspect people, not to hold suspicions, negative suspicions about people. God says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who believe, ijtanibu kathiran min al-dhanni inna ba'da al-dhanni if. Avoid most suspicion because some acts of suspicion are a sin or a transgression. Don't assume things about people. The hadith say that when you see something or experience something from someone, make up 70 excuses for them. 70 positive excuses for them. You see something that might not be right, don't immediately go to the worst assumption. Make an excuse for someone. Maybe there's something that you don't know about. There's a reality that you don't know about. Don't take things at face value. Try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume the worst in people. Assume the best in people. This is what our traditions tell us. Not to suspect. We have to be very, very careful in the way that we interact with one another. I mentioned this several nights ago, the first night that one of the greatest transgressions that we will be held accountable for by God is transgressions against others, is harming others, hurting others, either by what we say or what we do, or even when it comes to the way that we think about others. Let's try to think posi positively about others. Let's not assume the worst in others around us. So the Qur'an gives us all of these different examples, men, women, in different times, in different places, who were tested with different tests, with a difficult spouse, with a difficult child, with a difficult society, with a loss of health, with a loss of wealth, with all of these various tests, with tests and challenges regarding their honor and their dignity. Why? so that we can understand these stories and seek inspiration and reminder and remembrance from them. We learn from them. How many times was our own Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam ala Muhammadin wa alihi How many times was he tested throughout his life? 
the Prophet began his life with a test. He began his life as an orphan. His father died right before he was born. His mother died when he was six years old. Then his grandfather died. After that, he grew up a life of financial difficulty, of poverty, of modesty. When it came time for him to preach his message, his own community rejected him. They called him crazy. They called him a magician. They rejected him. He went to Ta'if, which is outside of Mecca, to preach. What did Ta'if, the community of Ta'if, do? They ran after him with rocks and stones. They pelted him. The Quraysh placed a siege on him and on the Muslims. For two years, they were placed under siege. They tried to assassinate him time and time again. He fled Mecca to Medina. They waged war against him, battle after battle after battle. The Prophet was tested incessantly, trial after trial, test after tri test. History tells us about the Ahlul Bayt. Is there a single figure amongst the Ahlul Bayt or the Imams that was not tested? They were tested throughout their lives. Was Imam Hussein salam not tested? Was he not tested with the most difficult of tests? Was a Sayyidah Zainab salam not tested with the most difficult of tests? They were all tested. Today, dear friends, we all face challenges. We all face trials, various types of tests and trials and challenges in our lives. In every regard, we face challenges when it comes to our education and our school. Sometimes we have to deal with people in school, teachers, friends, other students who give us a hard time. Sometimes some young people in school, they face bullying. And bullying is a problem. It's a serious problem. And we have to think creatively as a community of how we can support one another to overcome this problem. And there are many organizations and many groups who are devoted to overcoming this challenge of bullying. So if you are here, brothers and sisters, especially my younger brothers and sisters, if this is a problem that you face in school, there are many opportunities for you to reach out for help. Don't feel like you're alone. You can reach out to for help and assistance to overcome this challenge of bullying. We face challenges when it comes to our careers, to finding a job. When it comes to our finances, sometimes we face financial trouble. We don't know what to do. We're trying to make ends meet. There's inflation, gas prices are rising, Rent is rising. We find ourselves in financial difficulties, in financial tests. We find ourselves facing challenges when it comes to our relationships with one another, with my parents, with my children, with my siblings, with friends, with my spouse. I mentioned this last night to the youth in the Q&A session, that marriage, the reality of marriage 
is that it is a huge struggle, it's a huge challenge. Ask anyone who's been married for a long time. They'll tell you that marriage is difficult, it's not easy. There's no such thing as this fairy tale story of marriage that is completely perfect and there are no arguments between a husband and a wife and there are no problems. That doesn't exist, that's not in reality. The reality is that marriage is challenging. It poses a challenge. Spouses pose a challenge to one another. You know, they say in marriage, in the first year of marriage, the first year of marriage, the man speaks and the woman listens. In the second year of marriage, the woman speaks and the man listens. And in the third year of marriage, they both speak and the neighbors listen. Marriage is a challenge. We find ourselves in being tested with people around us in our relationships. All kinds of tests, all kinds of trials. And sometimes it's, we find ourselves in a situation where we want to give up. My Lord, why me? Why am I being tested with my health? Why am I te being tested with poverty? Why am I be being tested with a difficult spouse or difficult children or difficult parents? Why am I being tested when it comes to my education or finding a good job or getting a promotion? Why? And we often forget those who came before us. We forget the example of those who came before us who were tested incessantly in every aspect of their life. It's not a unique situation, dear friends. We're not alone. All of us are tested. God tells us that we are on a difficult journey in this life. We are on a lifelong journey of struggle. What kept those people that the Quran tells us about what kept them strong and standing? Why did they not surrender? Why not? Because they had strong roots of faith. They had strong roots of faith. Otherwise, it's easy to give up. What kept Sayyidah Zainab salam standing? Zainab who saw all of the challenges, she saw her entire family massacred before her eyes. Every single one of them. We speak of the tragedy of Imam Hussein alayhi salam, and of course the tragedy of Imam Hussein is enormous. But the challenges that Imam Hussein faced ended with his massacre on the day of Ashura. But with Sayyidah Zainab, they continued after the day of Ashura. They didn't just stop on the day of Ashura. She had to bear many other tragedies and trials and difficulties after the day of Ashura. But what is it? that made this woman when she stands before Yazid and Yazid says to her, How do you see what God did to your brother? What makes a Sayyidah Zainab stand up and proudly proclaim, Ma illa I saw nothing but beauty. It was her strong foundation, her strong faith her strong faith. Otherwise, if it was me, I would have been knocked down. I would have surrendered. I would have given up. We are all on a lifelong journey of struggle and challenge.
dear friends. God tells us, Ya ayyuhal insan, innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan You've been created in this world to experience challenge and turmoil and difficulty until you reach your Lord. This is not a life of ease and a life of happiness. It's a life of facing and overcoming trial after trial and difficulty after difficulty. It's a place of test. God put us here so that we can overcome our obstacles and barriers and arrive at a state of spiritual elevation. This is our objective. And this is what we will experience in this life. And there are no shortcuts, dear friends. There's no easy way out. We have to, our roots, they require nourishment. We need to nourish our roots. If we want to be able to stand tall and not get knocked down or be able to stand up once again when we face various challenges, we need to nourish our roots. Remember the Quran says, a beautiful word is like a beautiful tree. Its roots are deep and its branches are high in the sky. Sometimes you've probably come across trees that are enormous and they're able to withstand every kind of storm, every kind of challenge. Why? Because their roots are very deep. Their roots are deep. Don't look at the outer appearance of the tree. Yes, it's tall. Yes, it's large. But those trees that are resilient are those that have deep roots. Their roots are nourished. If we want to be able to st stand and overcome every challenge that we face, we have to nourish our roots. It requires constant nourishment. There's no easy way out. There's no shortcuts, dear friends. They say that one day Mullah Nasruddin was facing challenges. And so he was praying to God. He was invoking, imploring God. He was saying, my Lord, I'm facing all of these challenges, all of these difficulties. Please help me. Please assist me. Please give me patience. And please make it quick, huh? Give me patience and make it quick. Patience is not something that is passive, dear friends. How do we develop patience? Does it just fall from the sky? Suddenly overnight, we are considered patient as being someone who is patient, who expresses patience. Patience requires what? It requires development. You develop patience when you face a trial and you overcome that trial, that helps develop that patience. The next trial that you face and you act upon that patience, it also develops that patience and so on and so forth. If we want to be able to express constant patience and resolve and determination and to be generous in all situations and to be kind in all situations and to be strong in all situations, we have to make sure that we nourish our roots of faith and action. And this is why the Quran tells us, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu sta'inu bil sabri wa salah. Inna allaha ma'as sabirin. O you who believe, seek assistance and help in overcoming your challenges and trials with two things. Bil sabri wa salah. Patience 
and prayer. Don't just sit there and say, oh, my Lord, that's it. Just help me. No. Engage in activity. Express patience. Express determination. And a salah. Salah is activity. Salah is activity. Engage in prayer and patience. Those two together, they help you in overcoming your challenges. Don't give up. Don't surrender. This is what we are called to do. To nourish ourselves. Don't take prayers lightly, dear friends. Don't take prayers just as a ritualistic element, as movement, standing and prostrating and sitting and going up and coming down again. If we pray our prayers mindfully, if we give them their due attention, then this prayer helps us. It nourishes our faith and our patience and it gives us strength to overcome our challenges. But it has to be done right. When we look at the eve of Ashura, the ninth of Muharram in the evening, <clears throat> what was going on? You had two camps, two sides. On one side was the Umayyad army, tens of thousands of soldiers. And that night, they were partying. They were enjoying themselves because they knew that the next day there is battle, there is war, and they are equipped. They have their horses, they have their swords, they have their lances, they have their equipment. And so that night they spend the entire night laughing and joking and enjoying themselves. And then you come to the camp of Imam Hussein. The tradition tells us that that night in the camp of Imam Hussein, the camp was buzzing, was buzzing with the sound of what? With the sound of prayer and supplication and the recitation of the Quran. When we face something difficult, when we have a very difficult meeting the next day, some of us, we can't sleep all night, huh? We're constantly thinking, how is that meeting going to go? How is that interview going to go? How do Imam Hussein and his companions spend that final night? They spend it in prayers. They spend it in worship. They spend it in seeking forgiveness. They spend it in the recitation of the Quran from camp to camp, from tent to tent. Imam Hussein, he enters into the tent and he gathers his loyal companions together. He brings them together. He tells them, tonight is our final night. Tomorrow, God has decreed for us that we will all be killed. But I want to tell you, my dear companions, I want to give you this opportunity. I want to tell you that they are after me. I am their target, not you. 
And so tonight, I want each one of you to take the hand of one of my family members and to leave, to go out into the darkness. And I promise that I will not hold you accountable. Go out, leave. They're after me, they're not after you. One by one, the companions, they turned to Aba Abdullah al-Hussein. They told him, Ya Sayyidi, Ya Mawlai, our master Hussein, what is it that you are asking of us? What are you requesting us to do? Do you really think that we will leave you during this time? Absolutely not. We lived our entire lives with you in happiness and goodness. We benefited from your presence now during this difficult time. You expect for us to leave, we will not do so. We will not leave you even if our bodies are cut into pieces. We will not leave you even if our bodies are burned. We stand with you in loyalty. We are here for you and we are here for the sake of Allah. And this is what happened on the next day. On the day of Ashura, when the enemy army approached the camp of Imam Hussein, the companions, the loyal companions of Imam Hussein alayhi salam, they told him, Ya Aba Abdullah, we do not allow your family to go forward. So long as we are alive and we are here, none of Bani Hashim will go forward. We are the first ones that will go out onto the battlefield. They begin to go out one by one, one after another. With every one of them, Imam Hussein, he embraces him, he brings him close. He thanks him for his service. They go out and one by one they fight courageously until their final breath. They fall. One of the companions, one of those who re we remember, one of those who truly understood the importance of faith, and he chose the right path on the day of Ashura was Al-Hur ibn Yazid al-Riyah. Al-Hur was the commander of the enemy army. Al-Hur was the one who blocked Imam Hussein from entering into Kufa and he directed him towards Karbala. But on that final night, while others around him, they were enjoying themselves and they were preparing their festivities. That night, Hur could not sleep. Hur could not sleep. The next morning, as the battle was about to begin, Hur stood there trembling. One of his soldiers, he turned to him, he told him, oh, Commander Hur, what is this state that I see you in? If people were to ask me, who is the most courageous person you know? I would point to none other than you, O Hur. But I see you in a state of weakness. What is going on? Hur turns to him and he tells him, I see myself between heaven and hell. I see myself between heaven and hell. What am I doing here? Is this real? Am I really going to go and stand and kill the grandson of the Prophet of Islam? I'm going to kill the son of Amirul Mu'mineen and Fatima al-Zahra? 
They can give me the entire world and everything within it and I will never choose hellfire over paradise. No, he gets onto his horse and he gallops towards the camp of Imam Hussein. Imam Hussein and his companions, they notice someone is coming. Imam Hussein turns to Abbas, he tells him, Abal Fadl, see who this person is. Abal Fadl stands up, he draws his sword, he sees Hur coming towards him. Hur, he shows a sign of surrender. He tells him, I am here to see Aba Abdullah. Al-Abbas returns. He tells him, my dear brother Aba Abdullah, Al-Hur is here. He, Aba Abdullah tells him, allow him to come. He comes down. Imam Hussein tells him, are you Hur? Hur has his head down. He says, yes, Aba Abdullah. I am Hur. I am the one who brought you to this land. I am the one who stopped you from going to Kufa. I am the one who brought you and your family here. But my master, Aba Abdullah, I am ha now here at your service. I have chosen to be with you, my master. And I seek your forgiveness. Will God forgive me? For my crimes, Imam Hussein told him, yes, if you seek forgiveness, God will forgive you. Al-Hur disembarks, he runs, he embraces Imam Hussein. He tells him, my master, please allow me because I am the one who brought you here. Allow me to be the first one to go out and to defend you. Al-Hur goes out and he fights courageously and valiantly until finally he is struck. He falls to the ground. He calls upon Imam Hussein. Assalamu alayka ya Aba Abdullah. Imam Hussein goes rushing to Hur. He sits by him. He sees that his face is drenched in blood and the dirt. He wipes the dirt and the blood off of the face of Hur. Then he tells him, Oh Hur, congratulations. For your mother called you free and now you are free. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Wa sayyalamu alladheena zalamu ayya munqalabiyan qalibun. Wal aqibatu lil muttaqeen. Assalamu alayka ya sayyidi wa ya mawlaya ya abaga abdillah. السلام عليك وعلى الأرواح التي حلت بفنائك عليكم مني جميعا سلام الله أبدا ما بقيت وبقي الليل والنهار ولا جعله الله آخر العهد مني لزيارتكم السلام على الحسين وعلى علي بن الحسين وعلى أولاد الحسين وعلى أصحاب الحسين جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته وإلى أرواح المؤمنين والمؤمنات نهدي جميعا ثواب سورة الفاتحة مع الصلوات اللهم صل على محمد